Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Good morning. Thank you for your faithfulness because when you give to Faith Assembly, we get to partner uh, in the uh, ministry of serving around the world and specifically in Poland. Uh, we are able to give to this project that is serving the refugees, as you heard, the majority of them children. And so thank you for giving, uh, not only to the church, but even giving to missions. And, uh, and we are also excited that we have a team that will be going this August, be heading to Swaziland, Africa. And uh, we're partnering uh, in work that's happening in, in Poland, serving in Ukraine as that, uh, that war continues and takes place that uh, the light of Jesus would shine and we can meet needs. But also, one of our projects that we have the opportunity to be a part of is Sight of Hope Orphanage in Swaziland, Africa. Uh, We have, by the grace of God, uh, been able to build this home in Africa. We've been able to provide the resources. It is getting ready to open this year, and we have a team that's going there this summer, this August, and we want to send them not only in helping them to get there, but also in prayer, but we also want to send them with resources. So as you leave today, uh, you'll find in all of the lobbies, there's a stand that will just simply say donations for Swaziland. You can pick up this card. It'll tell you the items that are being collected so that we can bless this home. Along with that, uh, we'll be collecting throughout out, uh, the uh, month of June and into the uh, first week of July. But on July the 9th, we have our missions team and uh, is going to be gathering to do a baskets for Swaziland. That's going to be on July the 9th, Saturday at 6 p.m. And so we're going to invite you to come and be a part of that as uh, we're just going to fellowship. There'll be an opportunity to walk away with some gifts to raise money for Swaziland, the project that is going on, but also uh, kind of here, meet some of the team that's going, hear what's going on, and uh, be a part of, of what's happening. But these, this is our way to be a part of sending our team. You can pick up this card in the lobby and collect over the next couple weeks as we prepare to send a team to Africa. If you want to go to Africa, you can still sign up online. Now, whether or not there'll be room for you, you'll have to find out, or if you can even catch the same flight because they've got their flights bought and uh, ready to go by way of London, would you know. They're going to stop in London for two hours and then make the rest of the way to Swaziland. And uh, uh, it's a beautiful city I hear. I'd love to visit it someday, but uh, if somebody in the room would like to invite me, that'd be great. Uh, It'd be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> well, welcome, uh, welcome today, and uh, glad you're in church. You happy to be here? It was a little bit of a golf clap. I didn't know where that was, but uh, hey, we're talking about the family. Raise your hand if you love your family. Raise your hand if you love your imperfect family. Raise your hand if you love your perfect family. Some of you raised your hand on both of those. I don't know how that works. Uh, you, you can't have perfect and imperfect, but I guess some days they're perfectly imperfect. I, I don't know. Uh, but we're talking about family matters over these next couple weeks. And uh, uh, last week we kicked it off talking uh, about the need to have vision. Without a vision, the people perish. Don't let life just happen to you, that we should have the vision that God wants. It doesn't mean that all the plans will go the way we plan, but if we don't plan, our lack of planning would miss opportunities. Yes, we plan, but God orders all the steps, but we partner with him. We still play a part in having a plan. So what is the plan for your home, for your marriage, for your future, for your children? Uh, Allowing the vision that God would have to partner with God to make the most in those moments. Today, I want to talk about 
dealing with family conflict. And uh, I hope uh, today, if you're here and you don't have any conflict, you can leave at this moment. Uh, now be a time for you to just get up and walk out. Um, I'm waiting to see if anybody actually would. Uh, you're here now because, uh, number one, we all have conflict. Or number two, you're just too embarrassed to get up and leave after we just made that announcement. Um, but here's what we know about conflict. Conflict is universal and it's essential. Conflict is universal. It's something that, that affects everybody, but it's also essential. Conflict is like cholesterol. There's good and bad. You, you got bad cholesterol and good cholesterol, but you, you, you can't eliminate cholesterol altogether, but how many know you can reduce the bad cholesterol? You can't eliminate conflict in life, but you can reduce it. Conflict is the opportunity that gives way to things being healthier. You don't get healthier without going through conflict. Here's why. Because conflict, in order to have conflict, it means that it gives way to honesty. You can't, you can't deal with conflict without being honest. And if you're being honest, then you can build trust. And if you have trust, you can have a healthier home. But if you don't have trust, it's because you've not been honest. And if you've not been honest, it's because you've not dealt with the conflict. Conflict has the ability to produce healthier homes. Now, there is necessary conflict and unnecessary conflict. And I hope that like cholesterol, you don't just have bad cholesterol. You've even got good cholesterol. There is healthy conflict and there's unhealthy. There's necessary and unnecessary. Here's the unnecessary. The unnecessary is the conflict that we never learn and grow from. That's unnecessary. You, you don't have to keep repeating. You can learn through process. You can learn in how to work together. Early on in Jody and I's marriage, we had to learn how things worked, differences we had in backgrounds, experiences growing up. We had to process and learn, but we learned, and in the process, it didn't mean we eliminated conflict. It just meant we didn't have the same one, and we grew, and we got better at dealing with conflict. We've gotten better at dealing with conflict, not to say there's still, or that we're at a place where there's no conflict, conflict, but that we're able to recognize how to deal with it. And when you work through it in a healthy way, it doesn't feel like conflict. Now it produces health and it's actually for the good. We've learned how to handle, how to deal with it. I would, I would suggest to a lot of us in the room, I would sure imagine that in our homes, God help us to have conflict that is healthy. I heard a story of a wise man. He was he was known in town as being the guy who could help everybody. He would encourage everyone. Two individuals had to dispute. They came to the wise man and said, we need your help. The first man came by himself and explained his side of the story, the, the conflict, the dispute that was happening. The wise man heard his story, and at the end of his time, the wise man looked at the man and said, you are absolutely right. The, the gentleman left. He felt affirmed, felt good. The second man came a couple hours later. He sat there with the wise man, told his story, his version of the story. Everything that had happened, what was taking place, the wise man looked at him and said, you are absolutely right. He walks out. When he left, the wife comes out and says, how in the world could you tell them they're both right? They had different stories. They weren't even the same. And you said to them that they both were right. That is absolutely impossible. That was not right. She's scolding him and saying, you shouldn't have done that. That is not how you should have handled it. He looked at her and he said, you are absolutely right. He just kept saying, you're absolutely right. Conflict isn't handled by just saying, you're absolutely right. It's not handled by just going with the flow. It's not handled by just responding in a way that, that gets our point across. It's having wisdom. God, give us wisdom. How many know we need wisdom? I know we need wisdom because I read this article. It says, when you have to handle conflict, number one, maintain a healthy fear of conflict. Let your emotions get the best of you so that when it's time, you can explode and have command of the situation. 
Number two, if you must state your concerns, be as vague and general as impossible. Don't give the other person anything to work with. Number three, assume that you know all the facts and that you, to- you are totally right and be sure to do most of the talking. Some of you are like, I got this conflict thing down. Number four, latch tenaciously onto whatever evidence you can find that shows that the other person is merely just jealous of you and is out to cause problems. It's all their fault. Number five, judge the motivation of the other person on any previous experience that has shown failure or unkindness. Be sure to keep track of every wrong word that they have said, every action that they have done that has been been inappropriate. Be sure to remind them of their failures constantly and over and over. Here's number six, how to handle conflict. Save it for later. How many know we need help handling and dealing with our conflict? Here's why it's important for us to handle conflict in the home. The way we handle conflict in the home is preparing our children to handle conflict in the world. Handling conflict in the home, how we handle disputes, disagreements, how we handle these things will set the course. And if you've seen the world lately, we could use some better parenting. We could use some better resourcing. Let me just say this as well. We could use it all the way around. God, help us to do better at handling conflict. Matthew 26 is where we're going to look today. We're going to start in Matthew 26, looking at a situation that Jesus had to step into in a, in a place of conflict. And we're going to end talking about David, uh, what he had to remember at a season and stages his life uh, just before we share communion. And I do believe that God is going to heal and allow healing to flow in homes, that God's going to make us healthier. He's going to make us better, that he's going to even allow conflict to work in our, on our behalf and to work for our good. The, there's, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, the social setting that we have here, we realize is not necessarily a family, but they're disciples who've been spending the last three years together. They're brothers together, and, and so their relationship is very close, and there's conflict that arises in this situation. Here's the dynamics. Jesus is the head of the house, the leader of the group. He's the one who's setting the course. He's the one that everyone is following. He's the head and the leader. Jesus is setting a course and a direction, but not everyone agrees with the course and the direction that he's setting. Not everyone is keen on what Jesus's plan is, because here's the plan that he announces to them. He says, hey, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. Y'all can go with me, but I'm going to die. They're going to, they're going to, they're, they're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be put on the cross. I'm going to die. He didn't announce all the ways that he would die, but he said, I'm going going into Jerusalem and I'm going to die. There are those in the room or in the group that are like, not a good plan. We don't like the direction. This, this doesn't make sense. It's not right. There, there are two key characters that I want to I talk about. The first one, he had a subtle and, and, and undermining way of dealing with it. His, his approach was undermining and subtle. The other was explosive and erratic, but both of them brought destruction. One was subtle and just came along. The other was erratic and responded in the moment, but they both brought destruction. Just prior to Jesus making the announcement, we're going to read, and Jesus at this time is praying at Gethsemane. He is praying. His sweat turns to blood. He is, he is praying, praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this, but if it's your will, I'll do it. Before this, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. He's ministered to them. He's spent time with them. He's also rested in a, man's, in a, in a friend's house where a woman comes in and anoints him with perfume. This perfume is expensive. Judas who is one of the one of the disciples says how in the world and by the way he's not the only one the bible says all the disciples thought what is he doing 
Number one, letting this kind of woman touch him. Number two, allowing this kind of money to be spent this way. That money could be spent in a whole different way. They did not agree with what Jesus was allowing, what Jesus was doing. Judas had a way of handling it. The Bible says that Judas left that moment and then went to the the leaders, the rulers, and said, what will you give me to betray Jesus? How much will you give me? Because i got to fix the problem. There's, there's tension. We've got conflict. There's an issue. I've got to deal with the tension and the conflict. And the way I'm going to deal with it is I'm going to undermine. I'm going to subtly go behind. And I'm going to express a need for change. And I'm going to take care of it this way. We pick it up in Matthew 26. Two people dealing with conflict. Why don't you stand with me today in Matthew 26, verse 47. Here we go. You ready? Anybody want to get better at handling conflict? Anybody already have it all figured out? Teach me your ways, O wise one. Verse 47, and even as Jesus said this, he's talking to his disciples and says, here comes those that are coming to arrest me. He's in the garden, he's praying. Here they come. One of the 12 disciples arrived with the crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Oh, what a way to handle conflict. When I greet him with a kiss, greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. I I love that Jesus knows what's going on. He had already had had meal with them and said, the person who dips their bread in this cup is the one who betray me. And, and Judas like, surely it can't be me. All the while Judas knew it was him. And what does Jesus call him? Friend. Jesus never said anything just to say it. He meant it. Friend. Jesus says to him, he says, do what you've come to do, friend. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us who this is, but we know in the context of the other, the other gospels, this was who? Peter. Peter just had the ability to act and think later. Anybody else know people like that? I'm going to take care of this. He was not even good. He's a fisherman, not a swordsman. I mean, he cuts off the man's ear. When have you ever heard anybody say, when I get a hold of you, I'm going to take your ear off? Peter couldn't even hit right. Peter couldn't even swing the sword properly. He's just reacting. And Peter's in this moment. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? If I did what I wanted to do, how would the scriptures be fulfilled in my life? What I want to ask you today is how are you allowing God's word to be fulfilled in your, in your con- conflict? How are you allowing God's word to be fulfilled in your conflict? Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Here's my question. What sword are we swinging? And are we living by the sword? God, I pray you'd give us wisdom that we would slay giants, that we would see obstacles fall. God, that we would become better at handling conflict. Make our homes even healthier, we pray. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? And on your way being seated, tell your neighbor you need this message. Living by the sword. Whoever lives by the sword will die by the sword. And we're asking the question, how do we handle conflict? Let me just set the 
aspect of conflict, simply defined as this. Conflict is to come into collision or disagreement. When you come to a place of disagreement, you have conflict. I'm sure without a doubt there have been moments of disagreement within your home. Every one of us in our families, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in, in siblings, there's, there's places with our children, whatever it is, we have collisions, points of disagreement. There's points of conflict. I heard a preacher describe it this way, that in every home there are skunks and there are turtles. I don't know how you handle your conflict. How many know the skunk, when the skunk is threatened, the skunk just sprays everything. Are there any skunks in the room? Where are the skunks? You just spray it all. You just let everybody know there's a problem. You let every, everybody walks through. Something happened in here. Something, you just, you just leave the, 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 the remnants of it just occurred. Everybody knows. Somebody walks in the room. Uh-oh, someone just erupted over conflict. There's tension. Where are the turtles in the room? You know the turtles that come to conflict? And the turtles are the ones that just cling, they, they, they hide, they go into their shell, and they just put it off for another time. They become protective in their own way. Whether you're a skunk or a turtle, however you handle conflict, it doesn't help it. If you're a skunk, it makes it worse, and if you're a turtle, you just save it and make it worse down the road. You make it worse as a skunk because you just blow everything up and you just make a mess and you just stink everything up. And I don't even know if tomato soup or juice or whatever they say even really works, and I don't want to find out. I have no idea how the remedy of getting rid of the the smell of a skunk. I don't know. It it doesn't matter if you blow it up in the moment or if you're the turtle that just retreats and gives time for everybody else to wonder and guess and think and not really deal with the real issue, but just learn how to dance and just exist. How many know both of those are problems? It doesn't matter if you're the skunk or you're the turtle. If you don't handle the conflict, it puts us in a place of disadvantage. Here's te- the, the first thing you need to know. The first thing to resolving conflict is controlling how you respond to conflict. The first step to resolving conflict is controlling how you respond to conflict. Sometimes we never get to resolving conflict because we're still just trying to figure out how to respond properly and get control of how we respond to conflict because we just keep making the matter worse or kicking it down the road and we never resolve because we're still just figuring out how to respond. Let me give you some tips on how to respond. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 5 says the kind of people they'll be in the last days, what people will look for. This is what I believe... We can look in this this aspect. I realize Timothy, or Paul wasn't writing this to Timothy to say, well, this is how people handle conflict. But I think we can layer this today and see how people respond to conflict. Paul says to Timothy, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers just to say what their itching ears want to hear. Basically, what he's saying is their own desires out of selfishness, they'll just want to hear what people have to say that backs up what they want so that in their time of conflict, they can say, well, you know what, I, what so-and-so says? You know what everybody else thinks? Can I encourage you? Don't compare your home to other people's homes. Because it becomes justification. We're, we're not dealing with the issue. We're dealing with outside experiences and circumstances. And so now we're layering and cluttering this because the approach is out of selfishness and out of justification. And by the way, that's a form of stubbornness. I'm just going to hold my ground. I'm not going to really address the issue. I'm going to justify my position. He says they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They'll be unreasonable. You, you can't, even, can't even reason. We're not even making sense. We're, 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 we're not even dealing with the issue. And then he says these words, but you. Somebody say, but you. But you. 
Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Basically, what I want to say to you, to do, to you today is how to respond to conflict. Don't flip a lid. Don't blow a fuse. And don't lose your mind. Okay, I thought I'd get an amen, but maybe we're like too scared. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to say like, I, like, we're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never seen anybody do that. I don't even know anybody that would ever respond like that. There's this, this moment that when you're in the moment, he says this, don't lose or, or, or don't lose your mind. Be at a place of keep your head in all situations. Know what's at stake. Here, real quick, just give me, a, give me a couple pointers. Here's number one. Don't protect yourself by taking the easy road. When it comes to conflict, don't protect yourself by taking the easy, the easy road. Don't let go of the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. You say, well, he was talking to Timothy. Can I tell you, you and I are called to be an evangelist. But what, why does that matter in conflict? Don't forget that you carry the gospel and the gospel is just not good to help lost people know Jesus. It's also good for found people to know how to handle their problems and handle their situations. You're a carrier of the gospel. The gospel is a, is a ministry of reconciliation. Hello, how many know it's just not enough to reconcile lost people to God, but he also wants to do the work of reconciling lost people to one, or, 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 or conflict and struggle of people to one to another. How many know his resolution or the reconciliation is not just in a place that is vertical, but he also wants it to, to be horizontal in our lives as well, to do the work of an evangelist. If you hold on to the gospel, what's the gospel? The gospel brings peace. Are you a peace carrier? Has the gospel, is, is the gospel in you allowing peace to be produced in your life and in your situations? He says, do the work of an evangelist. He also says, once I open this up, here we go. He also says this, that when we do the work of the evangelist, that we're not to, or that we're to discharge our duties. What I want to remind you in this is carry out the role that you have in every situation. When you're a husband, don't forget that that's still your wife even when you're angry. Don't give up on what, don't let go of that role. When that's your sibling, I know we, we, we talk like this, well, you know, our kids, you can talk to your, your brother any way you want, but no one else can talk about your brother that way. Now, that sounds noble and it sounds good. I get it. But make sure we remember in conflict, that's still my brother, that's still my sister, that's still my spouse that we don't discharge. In the moment when we need to be that role the most, how many know if we're going to be, if, if I'm a husband, if I'm gonna be a husband, I really need to be a husband in the time of conflict. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because what we tend to do is we take off our role and put on a different one. No, you're still whatever that role is. Don't treat them like the enemy because they're not. They're your spouse. Don't treat them like the problem because they're not. They're your spouse. Don't treat them like the issue to everything that's going wrong because they're not. They're your children. They're your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. There is, there's that relationship. Don't let go of that relationship. Here's the question I want to ask you. What do you need to do better or different to respond to conflict? Raise your hand if you could grow in how you handle conflict. All right, I'm glad we're all in the same place. I would ask you today, I want you to evaluate right now. What could you do, do better to handle conflict? Here's one of the things that uh, you, you have to ask yourself, what can you do better to handle conflict? Um, um, maybe for you, it is don't yell and don't slam doors. This was Jody and I at the beginning part of our marriage. 
we came together and we're like, we have to set rules for how we fight. Because I would get loud and she would slam the door as she walked away from me. Absolute turtle. Absolute turtle. And we had to set rules. Wait a minute. How many know just because I get loud didn't make her hear me more? And we had to set rules and understand. I don't know what are some rules that might need to be set, some things that you need to, you need to recognize. It's been years since we raised our voice and slammed doors uh, because we learned how to set rules and say, hey, we've got to have control. If you don't control how you respond, you'll never get to reconciling the issue. And some of us are at that moment where we have to control how we respond. And what do you need to do different so that you can do better at responding so that you can actually get to resolving? What is it you need to do better to respond? Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're married, ask your spouse what you can do better to respond to conflict. Ask your brother or your sister, are you bold enough? Because let's be honest, if I were to ask someone else to evaluate, feels a little uneasy, and I don't know if I want to be that vulnerable. Hence, the reason conflict remains because fear will always drive us to where we become distant, demanding, or a place of just doing our own agenda. That if we allow fear, it causes us in a place that, that we respond. And if we don't address things, how many know over time, we just get good at living and existing and it doesn't allow intimacy and relationship. We just go with the motions. We just learn how to do the dance. Why? Because fear says, I don't want to confront this. Fear is keeping us from having, un, or having resolved conflict that will allow our relationships to be more intimate. Conflict is not hindering your intimacy. And by intimacy, I don't mean sexual relationship. I mean the ability to be fully known, to be vulnerable, and to be real. Conflict is not affecting your intimacy. Unresolved conflict is. Conflict isn't the problem. It's unresolved conflict. It's how we respond and being people who allow our fears to be overwhelmed. Here's why. Because if we don't have good conflict, we don't have honesty. And if we don't have honesty, we don't have trust. And if we don't have trust, we do not have a healthy home. How many want a healthy home? And a part of a healthy home is learning how to deal with conflict. Learning how to handle conflict in a way that is healthy. I, I want to I talk about uh, how to handle conflict. So it's first how we respond to it. But we respond to our conflict not as, God help us not be a turtle. God help us not be a skunk. Help us not be a, a skunk that blows it up right there. And help us to not be a turtle that just leaves the distance and passes off for later. Because how many know that distance, that time, and that space, you can start creating a whole different narrative in your head. You can create a whole different narrative in your head. This was one of the narratives Jody and I went through. Uh, it was uh, some time ago, um, you know, back when we were early married, because we're perfect now. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. That wasn't nice. Um, one time she, she said to me, um, she said, every time we get into an argument, you follow me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We got to address this. She said, every time, you, every time you, we get into an argument, you follow me. I'm like, well, yeah. And uh, I said, and then you always walk away. She said, because I'm trying to get away from you. <laughs> well, and then she said, when you follow me, I feel trapped. 
there was enough time and space that I had followed her for a couple, you know, I mean, it's not like, like we don't like argue every day. But there were moments in our marriage, like if we had a disagreement, I would follow her because we're going to fix it. And she's like, shut the door, stay out. I'm like, we never talked about it. And I had in my mind, like, oh, she's just ignoring it. Do you know why she walked away? Because she told me, I feel trapped. The moment I heard her say, I feel trapped, do you know what I quit doing? I didn't know it was trapping her. In my mind, we're resolving issues. We're not going to let this, let the sun go down on our wrath. We're going to fix the problem. Hallelujah. We're going to be spiritual and give this all to Jesus. I could have easily created in my mind, and I'll just be honest with you. Well, if she was only as spiritual as I am, she would address it the way I address it. Can I just be real? If, 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 she, if she was sensitive to the Holy Spirit like I am. You know, I'm not sure after this sermon, people are like, I'm never going back to that church. <laughs> that pastor and his wife have issues. Or people are going to be like, hey, we can relate. <laughs> there, there are moments. But you know what I had to hear? I never heard that. But not hearing allowed me to make my own interpretation. But how many know, let's not give the enemy a foothold. When? In anger. Whether you handle your anger like a turtle or a skunk, don't give the enemy any room. Somebody say amen. In our homes, God help us to handle conflict in a healthy way. Let me, let me, listen. I don't know why I need to say this. I don't know that I do, except I feel really vulnerable right now. I have not followed Jody for a number of years. She has not slammed the door. We, you know, I, I have not used uh, any uh, boisterous language. Uh, uh, in fact, the only thing I yell at is the dog, all right? So that is the truth, uh, because he only listens when I yell, um, all right, let me give you some things how to work with, with conflict. Here's number one, evaluate it. What is the real issue going on? What, what is the real issue that is happening? I need to evaluate the conflict that is happening. Uh, what is it that's really going on? Your conflict is not the what, it's the why. The conflict is not what someone did, it's how it made you feel. It's what it created in you. The what, because if you just evaluate the what they did is wrong, then you will be attacking and accusing. But if you evaluate what did this do to me, the battle we need to fight first is not the one outside of us, it's the one on the inside of us. I've got to deal with the inside. What, what, is, what is happening here? Here is, here is Judas and Peter. Both have different ways of handling this conflict. They don't agree with what Jesus is doing. Judas says, I don't agree with how he's handling the money. I don't agree with what he's doing. So I'm evaluating the situation and evaluating the situation. It's what Jesus is doing wrong. Hey, Judas, Jesus handling, the way you think he's handling the money isn't the problem. It's that you have a fear. And your fear might be that someone just took advantage of you before and you're saying, I'm never gonna let that happen to me again. So Judas, not dealing with the issue inside of him, says, I'm gonna fix the problem, so I'm gonna get payback. I may have ever tried that. I'm going to get payback. 
Peter's on the other hand, Peter is in this place of, Lord, you don't have to die. That's not right. You shouldn't talk that way. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And, and Jesus says to, to, to Peter, I'm gonna go and die. And Peter says, well, then I'm gonna die with you. And Jesus says, no, you're gonna deny me. And Peter's like, uh-uh. No, I won't. And so Peter's fixed on making a point. Peter pulls out his sword because he's like, I got a point to make. How many know if you try to handle it with payback or if you try to handle it with making a point, that's not the issue because you're just dealing with the external. You've not allowed the internal to be dealt with. You're just responding to the external. But what is really going on? Hey, Peter, you have an issue with trust. Peter, you have an issue of, 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 of being submissive and learning how sometimes to be quiet. Have you read the scriptures enough to recognize that Peter could have done a lot better if he would have just stopped and listened? There, there would have been a process. Why does Peter always feel the need to talk and be in charge or to take lead? Because he has a control issue. Peter has to, has to control this. And this, whatever is connected to fear. I, I don't know, Judas wasn't a tax collector. Judas was put in charge of the money. But there was something in Judas that caused him to respond the way that he responded. And he says Jesus isn't handling the money right. He's allowing a woman to just, to just pour out perfume. We could have done something better. I don't like the way he's handling the money. I'm gonna get back at him. I'm gonna betray him. I'm gonna go around his back. I'm gonna kiss him though. Don't you love it? The people are like, mm, it's, so nice. it's so good to see you. So good to... I can't stand my husband. I can't stand being. Uh, I love you, love you, love you, love you. The way she acts, the way she's been, what she. Hello, somebody. When we're at a place of being in this whole, whole atmosphere of one thing, we're, 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 we're not allowing the issue to be dealt with. What is it that's really going on on the inside of us? What's the issue? But we, we've got to evaluate what it is. Evaluate oftentimes, what am I afraid of? I'm having a reaction, and oftentimes it comes back to a fear and control. Fear and lack of trust. What is it that I'm afraid of? But if I remember who I am in Christ, all fear, he's not giving me a spirit of fear. And if I remember that I can trust I don't have to lean on my own way, my own understanding. In all my ways, I can acknowledge him and he will make my path straight. That there's a different way to respond. So here's number one, evaluate it. There's some things that you need to evaluate what's really going on. And then after you've evaluated it, then you address it. You have to evaluate it before you address it because if you don't address the real issue, you'll just attack the person. And how many know if you address it by attacking, you just create a defensive nature and everybody takes sides and you never deal with the problem. So how do you address it? Here's to address it. You got to set a time and place. You need a time and place to address your issue. Let me tell you when not to address your issue. In the heat of the moment, that is not when you talk about it. And you don't talk about it late at night right before you're about to go to sleep. In the heat of the moment, you're emotionally spent. And at the end of the day, you're physically spent. You're not in the right frame of mind. But there is a time to talk about it. If you have ever said to someone, Let's not go there. Don't bring that up. Don't talk about that. I don't want to talk about that right now. If you're ever going to say, I'm not going to talk about that right now, you owe the opportunity to say, but we can talk about it next week. Because what we tend to do is we're not going to talk about it, and so guess what we never do? Never talk about it. And the person who said we can't talk about it has now put a landmine on the other person, and now the other person is like, I can't even bring it up. 
and I can't bring it up, but I'm left with it inside of me, and so now I don't know what to do with it because we can't talk about it. I mean, no, that's not helping the resolution. So I've got to set a time and place to address it. Here, here's, let me give you six things or five things we need to say if we're gonna help address a conflict. You might wanna write this down. Here's number one. You start by saying, I feel. What is it that you feel? Because you don't start with, you did. You start with, I feel. When you said, it made me feel. Because the moment you acknowledge what you feel, you're not attacking. Now you're saying there's something that I'm recognizing and evaluating in me because if all it is is you did it, but I don't even know what it caused me to feel, I've got to deal with what I feel. And so when I'm doing that, it allows me not to attack. I got to start with I feel. Here's number two. I got to go with I'm sorry. I've got to learn how to take ownership of my part in the matter, even if my part is 0.05%. I've got to come prepared. I'm sorry for whatever that might be. <laughs> I was working out conflict with, a, with a, a brother one time and I took this approach and this is vulnerable. I said to the brother, I'm sorry that I said what I said. And the moment I apologized, his response back to me was, so you are the problem. You apologized. I apologize because I'm taking, that brother to this day still doesn't talk to me because he's justified that I apologize for my percentage. But how many know that's humility? Humility says, hey, I've got a part here because we're in relationship together. And if we're in relationship together, we gotta work together. And because we got to work together, I've got to lift, you got to lift. I got to help, you got to help. We're, I'm doing this. And so I'm lifting my part of ownership. And when you do that, you get vulnerable. Because somebody could say, aha, you're sorry, therefore you're the problem. You know what I got to stay in? Humility. Because the Lord will fight my battles. I, I've got to keep my heart. That's why one of the things we say at Faith Assembly, guard your heart and he'll guard your steps. Keep your heart in a place that's honorable before God. I wish all conflict could be resolved, but can I just be honest with you? Romans chapter 12. Live at peace with all men as much as depends upon you. Which means I can only control what I can control. I can't control it all. And there are moments I wish I could say to you, every single relationship I've ever had in life is at its sky high and we just bless the Lord. No, there's people who don't like me. There's people who don't want anything to do with me. There's people who don't trust me. There's people, (laughs) I get it, but yet I don't. Because I believe there's a way that if we honor God, we can resolve. You, You say, I feel, I'm sorry. And then you say, I want Here's what I want expresses. I want expresses your goal and desire for that relationship. I want us to be. I want us to have. I want us, let that person know that you've got a desired goal, a shared goal in this relationship, that you're invested. And the the response is not, I want you to always agree with everything I say. (laughs) No. I want us to trust each other. 
I want us to, I want us to, I want us to grow in our, in our trust. I want us to, what is your goal? Set the goal. I want whatever that might be. Here's number four. Number four is I need. I need is a reasonable request from the other person. I need you. You know what Jody needed from me? I need you not to follow me when we're having a conflict. I got it. That is a reasonable request. And now that I know what you need from me, we can help each other. Number five, let's pray. End that moment with, hey, let's pray. Let's ask God to give us grace and healing. And I hope that in the process, when we say those things, God will give us grace to grow through our conflict. Just because you have conflict doesn't mean it can't help us become better and stronger. Don't carry your conflict to another place or another face. Deal with the conflict that might be inside of you. God has given us moments to deal with the conflict. David, a man after God's own heart, is confronted by something that was not going his way. David had been anointed king. After being anointed king, uh, or anointed, he wasn't anointed king, he was anointed for the purpose of God. He's sent to his father's field. He's, he's overlooked. He finally comes into Saul's palace. He sings, he worships because he learned that in the field. He's serving. He rises to a place of influence. Saul becomes jealous of David. Saul wants David dead. David is now running for his life, has a chance to kill Saul, but doesn't take action into his own hands. He finds Saul in a cave, and he could have ended Saul's life. He could have had revenge, but David knew, I don't handle conflict the way I feel like it. I handle conflict in a way that honors God and his word. So David doesn't take Saul's life. David leaves that place. He comes to an area in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and he's outside of the fields of of Nabal. Nabal is a wealthy man who is in the, the region, the area. He's got a lot of property. He's got a lot of animals. He's got stuff. He's in the sheep shearing season which means this is the moment that Nabal's got some extra money and some extra goods to pass around. David comes along and says, servant says, hey, go to Nabal and ask Nabal for some supplies. Tell him that we have not stolen from him in all the fields. We've not taken from him, and no, nor have we not taken, but we haven't allowed other people to take from him. And ask him to give us some resources. The, the request is made to Nabal. Nabal says, who's David? Why would I give to a, a, a rebel? Why would I give to him? We don't care about David. So what? And David's like, but we protected you. We never took advantage of you. We never mistreated you. We even didn't allow other people to mistreat you. Why would you treat me this way? And so Nabal comes back and says, forget David. David says to his men, hey man, pick up your swords. And the Bible says that David picked up his sword as well. Here's what struck me when I read this. David picked up his sword. Do you know where he got his sword? It technically wasn't his sword. David got his sword when he killed Goliath. It was Goliath's sword. The sword that David picked up should have been the sword that reminded him, the Lord fights your battles. This sword, before you ever held this sword, you stood with a slingshot. You stood before a giant and you said to the giant, the battle's not mine. I give it to you that the battle belongs to God. And you fought in a place of dependence upon God. God gave you victory and
and he gave you a sword, be careful not to swing the sword in a place that is unworthy and unholy because you didn't get the sword on your own. It's not yours to just swing. God gave you victory. So be careful what sword you're swinging because the God who fought your battles before will fight your battles again. Are you fighting with the sword of truth or just the sword of your own flesh? There is another sword. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 6, put on the helmet of salvation. And for a sword, pick up the sword of truth, which is the word of God. Can I tell you? Jesus said, if I would have responded in the flesh, then how would the scriptures been fulfilled? Can I ask us in a place of tension and conflict? If I respond in the flesh, how will God's word be affected in my life? How many know if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword? If you live by this sword, how did Jesus have victory? Because he said, and learned how to say this, on the night of his betrayal, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. What if we handled conflict with the right sword and said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What if we handled conflict in a different way and said to God, let healing come. We have the elements of communion. I want to invite you to take them at this moment. And as we close today, I want us to take communion. Number one, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible simply says to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe that God raised him from the dead, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. Salvation is so significant. You can have reconciliation vertically with God. But he also gives us the ability to have reconciliation horizontally with one another. And I want to pray that whatever the state of your home, I I don't, this is not to uh, suppose that every home is unhealthy. No, it's to say this, there's probably room in all of us to do better with conflict. There's probably room in all of us to, to grow. And we would say as we take communion today, we do so in recognizing what Christ has done for us, but we also do so in a covenant and in a relationship of saying, God, help me to bring healing in my home. Help me to live in a way that is not me, but you. Not my will, but your will to be done. Amen? How many would make that commitment today with God's help, that God, in my, in my relationships, I want to be honorable, pleasing, let healing flow. So as you hold the elements in your hand, let me pray. Lord, I pray that as we hold these elements, we would be reminded that it was on the night that you were at your greatest conflict with man. Your greatest conflict. You were betrayed. You were forgotten. You were deserted. They, they left you. But Jesus, on the night that this was about to happen, and you knew it would, you gave yourself. I pray, God, that we would be reminded today that that, Lord, we can give ourselves to you, to your word, that we can pick up the sword of truth, not, not the sword of, of retribution or the sword of, of, of making a point, but, God, the sword of truth 
that God, we can allow your word to be applied in our life. Thank you that this bread and this cup is a representation of life as we surrender and trust you. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you're here and you say, Jason, I want to acknowledge today that I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life with no one looking around, but just in this moment of decision, if that's you today, just raise your hand. You say, today, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone else today? Anyone else in the room? Yeah, yeah. Amen. And would you pray this prayer with me for those of you that raise, for those that raise their hand today, would you pray this as a family and for all of us to be reminded of what Christ has done? Would you pray this prayer of salvation with me all together? Would you repeat, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Come on, pray that out. I believe you died and rose again. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Help me to live for you. I trust you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, I am saved and I am healed. Come on, I believe you need to declare that all of us in this room one more time. In Jesus' name, I am saved and I am healed. Come on, if you believe that today, would you just say amen? God, thank you for your healing. When Jesus took the bread, he broke it.